Welcome, citizens, to Liberty Tales from the Tower. Brought to you by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. As your media director, it is my privilege to inform you that the following stories will contain content some listeners will certainly find disturbing. Before beginning this week's broadcast, we wanted to address the rumors regarding the ore miner left solid after a coolant leak in Mine 25. While we would like to believe that citizen Faustus McCall would survive with few, if any, injuries, this is untrue. We are saddened to confirm that citizen McCall has passed, having died in the mines the day of the incident. Many citizens have compared what happened to Citizen McCall to the cryogenic stasis systems used hundreds of years ago, but this is purely fiction. What happened to Citizen McCall was an uncontrolled accident with a wild application of supercooled and sub-zero temperature liquids. While this was an accident, we fear others may try to recreate the event based on these inaccurate rumors. Citizen McCall has died, and the loss of Atrian life is a grave matter. Citizen McCall is remembered by his sister, his parents, and us all. Now, for this week's episode of Tales from the Tower, we are playing a submission from a worried roommate who fears his friend is plagued by nightmares. Written by Travis Vengroff and Caitlin Statz. Dear Tales from the Tower, I'm a longtime listener with, with a deep appreciation for your broadcast. I, I typically lack a, a natural predisposition towards creativity, but by chance, a series of odd circumstances have created this story all on its own accord. I am simply its chronicler. My roommate and I are Gotham maintenance workers in one of the outer districts. I apologize for my vagueness here, but I'm attempting to keep our true identities to myself so as not to attract unwanted attention. In short, my roommate, who we'll call Alias, is a slob. He doesn't wash his clothes until after they're visibly filthy. He showers maybe once a week. He, he constantly leaves things in our shared common space. He, he doesn't clean up after himself. And, and he's always leaving half-consumed canisters of meal or water around our apartment, refusing to claim responsibility or ownership of, well, anything. I've known uh, Alias since we were little. He has a rare sleeping disorder. It affects his ability to both remain conscious from time to time and to get a full night's rest. So when it manifests, he generally appears as though he's about to fall over from exhaustion at any given moment during most days of a given week. It is with the full knowledge of this disorder that I have been extremely tolerant of his unhygienic nature. It's manifested on and off for his entire life. And though I lack any true understanding of the disorder, last month I noticed that it had gotten worse. A lot worse. He started making extremely noticeable mistakes. 
bringing various chemicals from work home and leaving them by the shower, leaving various dangerous tools around our apartment, showing up for the wrong shift on the wrong day, forgetting to lock or even close the front door, completely disregarding important messages from co-workers and family. This degree of carelessness was not typical of him. He was a hard worker, and if you can believe it, he even had a few commendations for his diligence. So, one weekend night after a, a certain lady friend of mine left for a shift, I was surprised to find myself in an empty apartment. I slowly moved to the kitchen and opened a meal, eating while I visibly appraised the condition of the common space. I surely expected no shortage of mostly consumed water and alcoholic containers, some empty meal canisters, a, a discarded sock partly consumed by our couch, and a set of boot prints leading from Alias's room to the bathroom. Something. But I found the apartment to be entirely clean and empty. It was unnerving. I knew I'd seen Alias earlier that day, so... It wasn't like he had died or anything, but that's when I noticed a small data pad just sitting on the table next to the couch. I will admit that perhaps I didn't have the most pure intentions when I sat down and turned it on. Maybe I would change his password temporarily or, or set his background to something lewd. But those thoughts left me the moment I noticed that it had a writing application open and that it appeared to be a, a journal. I know what you're probably thinking, but we've known each other for so long that it didn't feel like I was doing anything improper. We hadn't really spoken since his condition had regressed, so I was just, you know, doing my best to see how my friend was doing. At least, that's what I told myself. The following is what the journal entry said. The ninth day of the fourth month, 703. Spoke with Dr. Mallon today regarding my uh, growing sleep issues. She recommended that I try to write things down. After a long explanation, I think I understood the general reason why she thinks it'll help. It'll help me order my mind. If I write down what is happening, I can possibly start to realize what is actually happening and what is stuck in my dreams. She feels as though I am losing grip on my understanding of my waking life. I have another way of viewing it. I can't remember what a dream is anymore. Also, and perhaps a more useful reason for this kind of tool, is remembering lost time. Four days ago, I had a day off from work, free to do as I pleased, but I don't remember a thing. Given my condition, I... I know I couldn't have slept through it, but my roommate says I left the apartment. Where did I go? Eleventh day of the fourth month, 7.03. So I may not be the best at this. Uh, I completely forgot to log yesterday, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to forget again. Uh, I now see the massive flaw in my decision to have a journal. If I can't even remember where I went for a day, or who I spoke to yesterday, or who's birthday celebration I miss, how am I supposed to remember to write in this journal? Which reminds me, I need to pick up some caffeine tonight.
It's night, busy day, feeling tired, going to attempt to sleep, but at least I wrote something. 144703. Uh, I called Dr. Mellon. I have no memory of calling her, but I got a message on my hood stating that she was returning my call and she sounded concerned. It must be important, surely. I have avoided her so consistently. If she thinks I have a serious problem, if she knew everything, Reeve, I would be out of a job. I need this job. 154703. I'm having uh, difficulty sleeping again. Uh, More specifically, I'm having trouble staying awake. Uh, But my memories from today are overwhelmingly vivid. Today, what the fringe happened today? Having slept through the first alarm, I awoke, opened a tofu down some pills for the growing headache pulsing through my thoughts. I'm growing so confused about my condition. Sometimes I try for hours, laying in the dark to get to sleep. Yet, at other times, I can't pull myself back from it or I'll be sleepwalking around my life. I don't understand. I felt awful, weary, before I had even left the apartment for my shift. The pills dulled some of the ache, but the left side of my head persisted throbbing and stinging my senses, making it difficult to concentrate. Today was some routine cleaning of the auctions of a tower in District 11, flushing minor impurities from the water tanks, removing gaseous buildups, followed by double-checking my partner's work. I was on shift with Ping greeting her in the changing room as we slipped on the oversized green overalls. I kept mine open, stepping off to the restroom to toss some water across my worn face and drooping eyelids. It helped me concentrate, center myself. I might not be a soldier or a scientist, but I honor my profession with my best efforts. I give my work my full attention at all times and observe any and all safety precautions required and expected of me. Out of everything I could have been, This is what I am best at. We went through our final preparations and slowly descended the ladders leading to the units below. They were listed as functioning, albeit dusty, and in need of a checkup. Slowly, we walked down the passages that led into the dully lit underhalls of the tower and parted ways with a nod, heading to our respective oxygen groups. Towers tend to be redundant in most of their vital functions, Clusters of equipment and machinery dotted across their layout, so this is entirely normal. If one malfunctions, another one works. If one cluster gets flooded, electrified, or otherwise damaged, another is available to take its place. I almost tripped, slipping on my bumbling feet with tired eyes as I entered the machine housing room. Are you well? Ping chimed on the short wave in my suit's hood. Yeah, I slipped, but it's fine. She seemed concerned, but not authentic. Let's just focus on the job. I'm not as talented at multitasking as you. We silently resumed our work, and I think my message was clear. 
I didn't feel like divulging my medical history to the department's sector gossip. Placing down my tools carefully, I glanced up at the oxygens. A series of large glass water reservoirs surrounded me, each cylinder feeding into a significantly more substantial machine through a series of small tubes. Similarly to the generators themselves, it's my understanding that the tubes are partly for redundancy. In case one of the tubes fails, there are several more in place for each tank. Additionally, when required, a single generator can increase the speed at which grey water is converted into oxygen, providing a backup line in times of need. It is in these tubes where air bubbles and other particulates tend to get caught and impede the conversion process. Unlike the surrounding hallways, the oxygen tanks are typically well lit, but the light over one tank appeared to be dead. I immediately noted this on my data pad before continuing my checklist. I hooked up to the first oxygen and tapped the glass to activate the built-in diagnostics. The readouts were clear. Tank one needed a minor scrub. I activated the correct sequence, separated the tank, and began the automated pre-filtration process. While I had a few moments to myself, I began to casually observe my surroundings and silently thank the Archon that my head was finally clear and free of pain. That is when I first noticed it. In the reflection of the glass, appearing as if someone stood directly over my shoulder, I distinctly discern a wide, toothy, pearlescent grin no more than inches from my ear. Nearly toppling myself, I spun about to see who was there, surprised to find the room empty. Returning my eyes to the glass of the tank, all was fine. Perhaps my eyes were playing a trick on me. Perhaps some ill-conceived idea of a co-worker's prank. Or perhaps some sort of dirty distortion on the glass or a holographic image had caused the grimace to appear. There wasn't anyone else in the room. The first generator's purge process was readied. So after a few moments of silence, I began the sterilization of the filtration tank. As the chemicals slowly oozed through the filter, filling the tank, I suddenly became very aware of a new growing sound. A breathing, low heavy with wheezing labored breaths issued from behind me. My mind froze, but my body feigned indifference. I continued moving my hands as if to work, but I gave no attention to anything else beyond the sensation of a hot, warm breath pushing down the back of my neck. And that sound, the wheeze, the push. I slowly looked up at the glass just above my busy hands, trying to find myself in its reflection, filled with instant fear and regret. I wish I had just run and lived with the uncertainty. Behind me, body distorted by bending glass, loomed a tall, gaunt figure, whose shadowed visage was unknown to me, but for its stretching grin and small red dots. Those eyes stared right back at me through the bent reflection, and around me grew a small, sinister laughter, intensity rising with every raspy breath it took. I jolted for the hallway. A low, droning sound grew ever louder as I glanced back. It was still standing there. I calmed for Ping. Ping, are you hearing this? A drone, a buzzing whir, increased in intensity as I stumbled through my thoughts. I had seen that man before, I'd seen him. While we had never spoken, he knew me well. 
and this realization filled me with a sense of pure fear. I recognized him through the fear, understood why he was there in that moment of clarity. The nightmarish shadow that had stalked me in my sleeping hours tormented my resting mind. He had been appearing to me recently, more every week, and I had kept a mental record of those nights. The nights I awoke in a sweat, short of breath. It would loom over me, first its head, bald and so pale that deep blue webs of veins protruded from it. The veins and threads of hidden vitals pooled in deep shades beneath its pallid skin, stretching into the indented recesses where its eyes should have sat. Below, following its eyeless crown, a lipless mouth grinned, filled with straight, ordered rows of pearly, white, flattened teeth. When I could see it, it smiled, the teeth becoming overexposed. Gums were non-existent, and behind its tightly taut, bluish skin, the dull red dots glowed. On the better nights, that is when I would awaken. He used to be far away, a mile away from me in my dreams, perhaps across rooftops or beneath an overpass. But as I've grown older, he grew more and more bold, creeping ever closer, always smiling, making it more difficult for me to brave unconsciousness every night. He, it, the man-shaped thing of my sleeping hours used to wear a lab coat, but more recently, it had grown bold, throwing off that crisp teal coat to expose the horror of its reach. I would awaken then, as I didn't want to stick around to see the result. Fleeing down those halls, I felt confused. The natural reaction of my body was to flee, thinking myself in my dreams. Once its coat came off, the flight was on. Everything within its grasp would suffer instantly and irreparably. It would erode and pervert objects, people, and structures, all condemned by its grasp to rot and ooze. And I did not want to be anywhere near it once that chain of events began. There, standing beneath the tanks in the reflection of the gloss surface, its coat fell. And from beneath, the hundreds of multi-hinged arms quickly extended, grasping out for me. I fled. It never stepped or pursued me, never once moved its pale, stilt-like legs. But those arms were never-ending in their pursuit. Tearing my way through the halls, hurling over pipes and barriers, the mangle of ever-fragmenting arms flew toward me. They had never touched me before. I made sure of that. Never once in any of my dreams had it caught me. If it was there, so was the solution. So was the end. The end was my way out. A way to pause my ghastly pursuer until the next fitful rest. The end is in a specific object or a location, so much as it is a goal that I can inherently feel. A respite. It's different almost every time, but I have this innate sense of what it is when I see it. I can feel when it's getting closer. The hands dashed above me and behind me, fondling the pipes and vats around them. The once cleaning metals and smooth plastics turned to rust and sludge beneath its very touch. Boiling water and burning frayed wire, the air was heavy with steam and putrid rot. 
and my ears rang with the growing hum and collapsing world. The end was nowhere in sight, but I could feel I was getting closer. I know it was gaining on me. Each nightmare, a game of tag where I started closer to my opponent and ran further than ever before. A game of slimming odds. A losing game. One hand reached out, grabbing my utility bag, turning it to a liquefied slurry as I fumbled the strap off my shoulder. If it could reach me, my body, I wondered if it would outright grab me, or if it would play with my mind, giving me a false sense of hope. If it enjoyed the pursuit that drained me of my energy and will, I had half wondered if it was just toying with me, knowing that it would catch me in the end. Smashing through the stairwell door, I knew something was further amiss. Before me was a giant staircase overlooking ruined skyscrapers of glass stretching downward to the land below. I dashed down, running towards the place I knew held my end. The stairwell door decayed to mere dust moments after my passing. Taking leaps down flights of stairs, I ducked as the hundreds of tiny grasping claws flung themselves down at me, reaching for my limbs, hair, and clothes. The stairwell above me was no more, and the city shattered all around me. All was blackened, or red with corrosion and corruption, and filled with a mass of twisted and malicious limbs. I knew this without looking up. I couldn't look up. The end was in the basement where I thought I had been. I was approaching the door quickly. Jumping down the last few flights, I threw my full weight against the door, crashing through and stumbling as the lights slowly flickered on. They were slow. I was not, and the creature even less so. At the end of the hall was a door, and I knew my salvation lay within. The lights had just come on fully when they had already started to fade. Light bulbs popped at the mere graze of those thousands of tiny fingers, and the plastic covers melted and fizzled, the smell of acrid chemicals filling my nostrils. There was no hiding, no obstacles. Everything turned to nothing beneath its touch. The door approached, and as it flung open, I saw the desk. A small, blue child's desk with an immobile seat sat in the barren room. This was the object I was seeking. My end. I staggered to reach it, my limbs shrinking as I slid into its minor proportions. I woke then, face down on the floor with the dim glow of the tanks ahead of me. It appeared I had tripped after all when I had first arrived. It was just a dream. Are you truly hurt? Are you just ignoring me? Mumbled a genuinely incredulous ping through the short range of my hood. I'm fine. The signal just cut out for a moment. I lied. I could hardly explain what had just happened to Ping. She'd never believe me, and I didn't want to be accused of falling asleep on shift. As I slowly began to lay my tools before the first tank, I realized... I was still trembling, reluctant to look at the glass before me. It was only a dream, I reminded myself, a reoccurring nightmare. But another time I was able to elude him. I must, I must have hit my head during the fall when I tripped, 
or perhaps I lost consciousness due to my condition. I activated the sterilization process without looking up and clicked some music into my privacy hood to try relaxing. I could still swear that I felt breathing on the back of my neck at one point, through my hood. But there was nothing behind me when I was finally done, having packed up and returned to meet with Ping. The rest of the shift was uneventful, but with the fear that I will see him again tonight, I was restless. I am restless. Sleep holds no safety for me anymore. Not one I can't tell the difference. 184703. Damn, I forgot the journal again. It's been two rather uneventful days since the last entry. I cannot remember sleeping. There are points when I'm in my room one moment and in the kitchen the next. There are times when I'm on the sky rail and I do not remember walking to the sky rail or why I left my apartment or where I'm going. I missed a work call apparently. I was somewhere all the way in Jacob West Park with my tools but it had been hours since I had checked in for the job. I just feel so tired. My whole body feels weak. I called in sick. I feel sick. I think I'm sick. Nineteen four seven oh three. It happened again. A day I remember. A day of clarity and fear. He, it, had been dormant for the past few nights. Biding his time, I guess. A silent observer in my dreams, ever-present, still wearing the lab coat, but not attacking. I feel so damn tired. It's been wearing me down. I can feel the fatigue even in my dreams. I don't know if he's studying me, or maybe waiting for the ideal moment when I let my guard down. Reeve, I'm afraid of what will happen if he gets a hold of me. I've always escaped. I like to hope that, just like with falling, I would wake up before hitting the ground, wake up before those hands grasp me. He's been chasing me for years, ever since I can remember. He's never caught me. He's just a dream, right? But I'm terrified he might be more than that, more than a dream. Today. Things got fucked up. The other problem, and a rather shitty one, is that I do not always know that I'm falling asleep due to my condition, and that I'm not entirely sure that when I saw him on the train yesterday that I was, in fact, asleep at all. And now it's got me questioning if I initially fell asleep the last time, or the time before that. Or if this is some sort of coping mechanism for my sanity's sake when I escape. This is the sleep deprivation talking, surely. But what if it's right? What if I'm right? What if I'm being stalked by some thing? I think this thing may be causing my condition. Or at least making it worse. If it is something tangible something real 
and I can see it in my dreams. Maybe it wants me to fall asleep more. Maybe it makes me fall asleep more. Reeve, I'm so tired. I was taking the Skyrail to a job site. It's a common job. We checked the systems at the recreation centers across the city consistently. I had an assignment in a sector across the city, a short rail ride away. I was half asleep, this time holding a large case in hand that contained a portable version of my coverall and the tools I would need for the job ahead. The rail car was well populated, all those seats already taken. I moved in, grabbing a pole to steady myself and placing down my work bag. I heard the door close behind me as I wiped sleep out of my eyes. When I looked up again, through the throngs of chattering citizens and flashing advertisements, there he stood, at the back of the car, facing me, smiling. I was not asleep. I couldn't have been. The people around me chatter about things I knew nothing about. I could feel the vibration of the sky rail through my legs, smell the perfume of the woman beside me, taste the meal I had earlier. And I can see him, smiling, tilting his head until the blue pools of blood where his eyes should be slosh beneath its skin. It let down the lab coat and unleashed its arms. In that moment, every citizen in the cab faced me, mouth slack, drooling black and mire that globbed to the metal floor with an acidic hiss. White ooze poured down from their eyes only to find that it was their eyes. And now all stared at me with visages wrecked with agony and deep, empty sockets. Their pain did not last long, as with every touch of its long-extended foreign hand, the citizens rotted away, and I fled. Thrashing my way through the train car, I shoved aside the standing eyeless, oozing dolls. As I rushed, my feet sucked down into the sludge with every labored stride. The cab collapsed behind me, rusted, tarnished metal deteriorating to ash as I sprinted through one door, onto the next. Every car was filled with them, sitting, standing, as though nothing was out of place, staring down with empty wounds as I fled from and through my nightmare. It was closer now, my end. I could already see it. Out the back of the final car, unaccountably hanging in the air behind the moving train, and above, the crawling, wasting city. By my ear, the crack of knuckles could be heard, and from my peripheral, a bony finger could be seen grazing a metal post before me. It could reach me. I was too slow. By some harrowing grace, it left me to flee in pain terror and I strained to increase my flight. As the end of the final cab came into view, I saw the hatch already open, the end near. With energy I do not ordinarily possess, I leapt from the car across the decaying chasm of the city below. Mid-flight, I felt a tug and glanced back to see the bony withered fingers too long and narrow to be of this world gripped around my coattail. Arms outstretched, I grasped for the pole of the desk, 
so small my hand could grip it fully and pleaded with exhausted muscles that I would not let go. And then the train rang, announcing its arrival at my station. People chattered, someone laughed, and I disembarked, dazed and sweating. Resting on a nearby bench, I sobbed into my hands. If it could catch me, it would. I narrowly escaped, and I think it wanted me to know. I did my job today, and I will not sleep tonight. Twenty-four seven oh three. I did not let. I did not sleep last night. I stocked up on caffeine and some generic stimulants. I will not fall asleep. Twenty-one four seven oh three. Still haven't slept. I think I'm hallucinating things, which I looked up can happen when sleep deprived. It's been nearly 70 hours. I don't think I can make it tonight. The 22nd day of the fourth month of the year 703. I fell asleep. Everything is fine. It is such a beautiful day. That last entry was a couple of weeks ago. I think that this whole literary experience Alias took on really helped him out. Since writing this, his whole mood has changed. He even cleans up after himself. Sure, he needs to spend some time polishing his works, but if he really likes writing this much, I hope he continues. He's been like a different person these last few weeks. He seems so happy, always smiling. for listening to the Liberty Podcast Tales from the Tower Nightmares was written by Travis Vengroff and Caitlin Statz produced by Travis Vengroff and mixed by Brandon Strater Nightmares was read for us by Dave Fenoy and Daniel Demerin and features additional voices by Zoe Von Embler If you have enjoyed listening to this episode please consider supporting us on Patreon or by liking and reviewing our show on iTunes. This broadcast is a product of Fool and Scholar Productions and is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible through the support of our listeners. To support the Nerdy Show Network and its presentations, please consider checking out nerdyshow.com for other works. This production is copyrighted 2017 by John Dossinger Publishing. And Liberty is a trademark of Travis Vengroff. Thank you for listening, and may the Archon watch over you. <laughs>